Business Podcast. Proximity is power. Registration for our executive boardroom is still open. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. All right, here we are with the Game of Business podcast, and today I'm joined by Jason Mitchell. Now, Jason is the number one real estate team, has a number one real estate team doing $4.5 billion in transactions annually. We're going to get into some of that and how he got into that. Been in the industry for about 20 years, I think he said, and he's been with his own place since 2006, which I want to ask you a question on that because... That shortly after you started business became a scary time. So I'm, I'm going to love hearing how you navigated those waters. But beyond that, he's got this, uh, the books called the 40 day blueprint for selling real estate. Hope I got that right. So first of all, thank you for coming. And second of all, just as I'm thinking about this, you started business in 2006, mm-hmm. 2008, nine hits. Um, yep. you, you probably were, I don't know on my imagination is people in that market were ready to jump off buildings. So, how did you handle that crisis? Well, it's funny because in 06, I'd sell somebody a home and I was a hero. And then in 08, all of a sudden I was their worst enemy, right? So, uh, it, you know, it's just one of those things. That, what I always say is this, is that um, I'm glad I went through what I went through during those times. And I'm glad I was also where I was in life at those times, meaning I was still in my 20s. I was single. I didn't have a family yet. Because uh, I think that there's a lot of people that went through the Great Recession that had a lot more challenges than I did because they had a lot more responsibility in their life than I did. And so for me to navigate those waters, the only thing I could do is go to work every day and um, and just bust my butt like I do every day. So there wasn't anything I did differently. It was just that the market wasn't where it needed to be. But I was very fortunate in the sense of like, I didn't have to go to bed at night and worry about, you know, I have, I have three kids and I have two stepsons and I have my daughter. And, and my wife, and so that would weigh heavily on me. And so I had it pretty easy, all things considered, during that time. Okay, and, and so then how long did it take for you to weather that storm and start coming out the other side? Because, you know, it feels like a lot of people in the real estate industry, they just do everything linearly. And you're, you, you are obviously not a linear thinker. You mean, I mean, it's exponential for you, you're leveraging relationships and building trust with folks. So how did you go about, what was the, uh, this is my question is, what was the moment, your aha moment that said, ah, I don't have to go one plus one plus one. I can yeah. go grow up like a, a hockey stick exponentially. You know, I was just talking to Housing Wire about this yesterday. Um, I come from uh, Metro Detroit and uh, I was uh, raised in South Detroit and so uh, there's a big company over there that you may have heard of called Rocket. And uh, Rocket at the time was Quicken Loans. And 2010, eight and nine were just, you know, I, you, you couldn't sell anything, right? It was just over with. I mean, right. not, even, you could not even sell anything. Nobody could buy anything because no one could get money. In 2010, it was still really hard, but it started to loosen up a little bit. In 11, it loosened up more than 10. In 12, things seemed to slowly get back on track. So 10 and 11, I got back into real estate. I was in finance for two years, which was a great experience. Um, And then, you know, my first year back into real estate, and I say this a lot when I'm on stage, was my first year back in real estate, I did $7 million in sales. And so that's 2010. So that's 
13 years ago. I did 7 million. This year we'll do 5 billion. And so when you think about that trajectory over 13 years, how, why, what, how did that happen? Because it is rare what we've done. Um, but it's rare how we did it is the story. The story goes, um, in like 2011, I got asked from, uh, by a gentleman, 2011-2012, uh, his name was Sam Vita, who uh, is the founder of what was at the time called In-House Realty. And that was a sister company of Quicken Loans where they were sending referrals to their clients to work in the field. And um, I have deep ties, I'm from Detroit. A lot of my friends got their start at, at Quicken and worked their way up. Uh, to this day, a lot of the high-level executives are good friends of mine. Uh, and I've met a lot of great people because of how long we've been partners. But long story short, they started sending me some referrals. I started closing them. And what I noticed was early on that as long as I do a really good job, they'll probably send me more business. And they did. And then it led to, okay, I can handle more business if I bring on a buyer's assistant. So I brought on my first hire, who's still with me to this day. Her name's Claire. And, um, and she did a great job. So then it was, all right, let's continue to grow. As we grew, what I started to realize and understand was the face of real estate was changing because what used to be where consumers would come to me and I would connect them with a lender or I would get them set up on a home search. See, when I got in the business in 2002, Zillow didn't exist, Realtor.com didn't exist, Zip Realty didn't exist yet, which was- Yeah, I remember you could not find real estate. They had the uh, MLS search and you had to be a real estate agent to see yeah. that. So we couldn't see the properties. Then fast forward, whenever Zillow came out, I, I, the first time I think I realized it was probably 14 or 15. And then I was going to my agent going, I wanna see these three houses. Correct. That's what changed. And so what used to be where you had to come to me, now fast forward to today where I was in charge of connecting the dots. I was in charge of being able to be the gatekeeper of properties that you could see or you couldn't see. Everything today changed to where today a great real estate agent is a great facilitator and a great negotiator because clients find their own homes these days. I don't care what anybody says. Very rarely do they find private listings that you have procured, and, and so it's rare. But what happened was is I started to see that real estate was being owned B2B in the sense of big organizations are owning the consumers up front, and they want to partner with people to service their clients so they have a great experience because in, in the reality of things, their brand's behind that experience. And so it started then... And what I, what I realized was if I could do a great job at servicing this client, maybe they'll let me expand, maybe I can open more markets, and that's exactly what happened. And then it went from that relationship into other relationships, and then it went to building our entire business model around servicing groups and organizations. You know, this year we'll distribute about 75,000 referrals to about 500 agents right now. We'll, we'll grow that. But that means that if you're an agent at our organization, we operate in 34 states, over 100 MSAs, that you get an incredible opportunity to grow your real estate business without having to worry about having an ad spend, when is my phone gonna ring again? As long as you're doing a good job, you're gonna get more and more referrals sent to you. And now we have you know, an incredible amount of partnerships with some of the biggest partners in the world, from Veterans United to Zillow, to Open Door, to 
Freedom Mortgage to New American Funding, Amerisafe. I mean, the list goes on and on at this point. So now what we have to do is we have to manage those accounts and relationships, open up new markets, and, and bring on new partnerships. And our model works quite well because the whole foundation of what we built is around servicing these groups. But I bet the house on that years ago. You know, I built all our tech stack on that and everything that we did on saying the face of real estate is going to change. And if you don't partner with these groups, ultimately, it's going to get harder for you to get to the consumer. And today, when you think about it, like take Zillow Flex. You used to be able to buy Zillow leads in majority of markets across the country two years ago. Now you can't even buy a lead from Zillow. Now you can't buy a lead from Realtor.com. And now you can't buy a lead from... Uh, you know, a lot of these places that, you know, you could buy a real estate lead to help supplement your business and build your business, they don't exist anymore because they, they now want a referral model where you're accountable to them and they're not beholden to you because you're paying money to buy their leads. The whole okay. face shift, shifted. So, um, you know, we got a hell of a runway ahead of us. That's why I think we can have explosive growth over the next three to four years three to five years. I, I think we can go from 5 billion to 15 billion in the next five years. Wow, and um, yeah, because you know we're, we're a unicorn in terms of one brokerage, single platform, working with all these groups under one set of uh, SOPs and what we, and our accountabilities of what we expect from our agents. It's, uh, it's a really, really cool model. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and what I'm impressed by Jason, is that you saw this trend in the marketplace and you're an early adopter, right? And you saw it coming. And what I'm, what I'm, as I'm listening to your story, I'm thinking, what's out there right now? It's AI. I don't know where the big move's gonna be, but there are gonna be some people, they're already making money off of it, but there's gonna be somebody like you that's gonna grow a multi-billion dollar business out on the back of AI. And I'm not talking about the people that made the platform, but the people out there that are in business that can leverage that, right? And so it's the visionaries like yourself that make all the difference. And I mean, what was your cost to invest in this? I, up front, it doesn't sound like it was a whole heck of a lot of investment dollar-wise, time-wise, but well, did, you, I mean, did you have to invest? What did you have to invest to, to grow those relationships, I guess? Well, relationships are free. You just got to do a good job and be a person of character and integrity. I think that's one of the things that I hope, um, that I hope our partners understand, and I know they do for the most part of Anything I can do to help support you and your company and your business, I'll be there. And now that I've seen so many different models, I've helped a lot of different groups launch their platforms in terms of their referral models. You know, I really have become that one of the main go-to people in this country when it comes to those type of operations. And I've had a lot of great people and a lot of people trust me and um, that's part of being a good partner. But without execution, all that goes out the window. No one cares how likable I am. No one cares how, how hard I work. They care as if we partner with you, can you execute? And I, and I, I think our resume kind of speaks for itself, but we got to continue to grow and become better internally. That's, that's, the, that's the investment side of things. We're, release, we're releasing our first self-built proprietary platform in July, which is about 18 months with a lot of AI in there. Uh, we're calling it Oz. That'll allow for a lot more efficiencies within our organization, allow for faster updating. It'll allow for more efficiencies through listings, through things like prospecting funnels to where we're utilizing intelligence to tell our agents who's most likely to transact versus who's not, and propensity models of building prospecting pipelines and building close client pipelines so you know 
of all your past clients, these are the ones that are most likely to transact, so stay in front of those people. And so when you're building brokerage, you got, you got two sides. You got to bring in the business from partnerships, but you got to build great resources and tools for the agents that are part of your organization. And so there's uh, many hats on that side. That's operations and then there's sales, right? Um, and so where I fit into play is I'm out there meeting with our partners and growing market centers. That's my job. And making sure that the company um, has the right direction and the right vision moving forward. And over time, culture builds within your operations team to where, you know, our average person in ops have been with me over five years. And you know, five years ago, we were doing, let's see, five years ago is 18. I think we did 300 million in 2018. And now we're doing 5 billion. So explosive growth, but so many of our internal team members have been there from really day one. So they know what they need to do. Everybody, like, everybody understands what their goals and objectives are here. And everyone comes to work in my office every day and they work together to build whatever's on their plate and knowing their objectives. No one, no one oversteps their boundaries. Everyone stays in their lane at this point. And that's growing pains of business because it's hard in the beginning. You know, it's hard to build culture. It's hard to get people to see your vision. It takes years to build a great team. And, but those that stay the course and those that understand that you're going to roll with the people that buy into what you're doing, um, they're the ones that really, you know, are the ones that are building it. That, you know, yeah. for me at this point, I'm not the one building it every day, right? I'm the ones giving directives every day and making sure that projects and tasks are getting complete but I'm not the one in the weeds anymore. Yeah, no, it, you, you've given me so, I, I could take this conversation in about seven different directions off what you just said. So, but I'm gonna focus on the culture piece um, because uh, you, you, know, you said your, your culture's building and it takes a while to build the culture and, and, it, and it does. I had, I had a manufacturing business and I realized that I had a culture issue and I figured out how to break it down, analyze people against our core values and I moved the people that didn't fit out of the company. And what I realized was if, if the culture's right and the people are a cultural fit, we can train them up to, to do their task. But if they're not a good cultural fit, then the company's going off in all these different directions. Um, and so I even had this one guy who was just an amazing, we, we made stainless steel restaurant kitchen equipment. We had one guy who could build two tables in the amount of time it took the other top fabricators to build one. And then you go, great, he looked great on paper. But then I find out later that he's running around telling everybody else what a piece of shit they are because he can build two in the amount of time and so their morale goes down, their output goes down because they're feeling this dark cloud and shadow. When I removed that guy, because I realized it wasn't a fit. So it's, think about this, you're gonna take, you're gonna take, not that Kobe was a bad, uh, Westbrook, <laughs> you're taking Westbrook off your team. The team can get better, not because he's a crappy player, but he's not a cult. Kyrie, they're not a good cultural fit, right? And yeah. so when when I figured that piece out, and I and I realized that, and I, I've told you about the the fundamental building blocks. For first, it's mindset. If you as a leader, if your mindset's screwed up, doesn't matter what the rest of it does. The next part is leadership because you've got to be able to lead yourself before you can lead others, and then it's culture. I haven't talked about selling anything yet. Now, obviously in a startup, we got to work on sales, but when you start building that team, that culture is so important, right? Well, the hardest part is, you know, now, you know, for us, we have something tangible, right? In terms of, 
you got something that is exceptionally valuable at this point in terms of the valuation of the organization. You know, I would tell you I think we're somewhere in the ballpark of 200 to 250 million in an open market evaluation, and that's from that, that's private, right? Like going public, I bet we could get even a bigger one. But so there's something there that people can say, and, and a lot of them have options and, and a part of that growth, right? But when you have that, it's easier to see the future because something's already been built. The hardest part is, the hardest part is before you have anything. Like, do people look at you and respect you enough to say, he's the first one in, he's the first one out, he works harder than anybody. And for years, you know, that that's what I did. And now, I don't grind as much as I did because now it's more strategic than it is like in the weeds. You know, I was the one that built our first pass of the CRM. It took me three years. Every Saturday I was down in Chandler at Infusionsoft for four hours and I disciplined myself every set. It's like my book. My book took me 11 months and I said no vacation, no nothing. Every Saturday for three hours from nine to 12, I had a gentleman that helped me write it and um and i didn't do anything else until that book. that was my challenge for the year and so you find ways to discipline yourself but what ends up happening is when you're growing a company when people see that and they know that the leader of the company is working harder than anybody else it makes them automatically work harder right um, and you know you want to instill those core values with people that and another thing for me too is i'm a driver like i think that i always you know you just talked about basketball I always equate Greg Popovich as, as kind of like somebody that I say, I think Greg Popovich is a massive asshole, but he's also an exceptional coach. And when you're playing with him, whether or not you think he's an asshole, he's going to make you better. And when you leave that team or you retire, you're going to say that was the best coach I ever had. I'm not the easiest person to work for because I'm not, I don't think I'm overly bearing or demanding. But I do demand excellence. I do demand that you give it everything you got, but that will make you better. And what ends up happening is everybody gets better. So it, it by osmosis, the whole company gets better. And then all of a sudden you got some really good people that are enjoying the success that they put into it. And you let them know that, you yeah. know, I'm the first one to say, this ain't a, like, I didn't build this. I'm the face of it. You guys built it. And so there's a pride sense that we have at the organization that I think people understand that they had a big part to do with everything that we got and they know it's special. That's a, that's a great part a great part of leadership is, you know, think about the quarterbacks out there, right? I remember I, I remember when Brett Favre's dad died. I don't know if you remember that game. I don't know if you're yeah, football fan. Yeah, he played like, okay. yeah, out of his mind. And, and he was like 25 of 28, five touchdowns, 400 yards, whatever it was. And at the end of the game, when they asked him what happened, oh, the receivers caught everything. I was, I was off the mark. They caught everything. The O-line picked every block. The running game was on point. The coaches called. It was never yet. Like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm on fire. And, and leaders, we uh, – a great mark, a true mark of a great leader, I think, is when they take responsibilities for the failures, but they give away the successes to the team. As long as it's genuine, you know, you see people that do that stuff and you just kind of know they're like, okay, like, you know, I love LeBron, don't get me wrong, but there's been times like when he was on the Cavs team that took him to the finals and then they got smoked 4 0 to the, the Warriors. Like, I just looked at some of the stuff he was saying. I'm like, that's a pretty passive way to say that, right? Like, I don't know. As long as it's genuine and it comes from a good place that you actually 
can look at somebody and say they really believe that. But I think sometimes people can weed through the garbage too, that you're just saying that to sound. Oh yeah, sure. Right, so as long as it comes from a genuine place. So I wanna talk about this. Um, To me, it's an amazing transformation you've made. Not blowing smoke, but you were a real estate agent. You had your own place. And then you shifted because you're no longer a real estate agent. You are a CEO of a, of a $250 million company, right? Mm-hmm. Value company. That's a pretty big shift, Jason. I, I, I honor you for that. And I want to understand what mindset, what was the mindset shift that, that you had internally that said, I'm no longer this, I'm in this role. Because you yeah. did, I get it. I, I had to wear every hat. That's how I figured out the business. But eventually you go, what's the highest and best use of my time? And for you, it's not going to meet people on Saturday to show them the house. Yeah, I, I miss that part of my life. It was fun. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed selling, and I was good at it. You know, I was the number one agent in Arizona for years, and um, and I really enjoyed being in the field. But what I realized was, even though I was making a great living, I wanted to build something that I could have value and that I could have legacy. And I knew that while I was still in production and building the team, that there was something that I think we could really do here because we were ahead of everybody in terms of being a pioneer as a brokerage that ran the model that we ran. And I also knew that I had partners that trusted me that if I took a step back, because you got to keep in mind, when I took a step back in 2018 to start building the company and not be in production, my income got cut by like 60, 70%. You know, So I was willing to take that risk of not making as much money to build this thing. And um, you know, over the course of several years, you work your way back up. But had it not worked, you know, I would have just went back to selling houses. But I, I, you know, that's another thing that a lot of people don't do is they, a lot of times they don't understand that sometimes the sacrifice of what you got to do, you can't continue the same lifestyle that you had because you got to be willing to build it and, in, and invest in it. So not only was I not making the money I was making, I was putting money out there and a lot of it to build the systems and tools and the overhead and everything that we had. But I believed in what we were doing because I, I knew we were a singularity out there and, and I believe we still are. I believe the runway of what we have is tremendous. It's just about now messaging to great agents out there knowing that a company like ours exists and that we can provide more value to those agents than anywhere else. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to be EXP and I'm not trying to be Keller Williams. I know the owners of those companies very well. They're great guys. They are, they are exceptional pioneers in our business. But I use them as an example because they have tens of thousands of agents. I don't want tens of thousands of agents. We don't need tens of thousands of agents. We want an army of agents in every metro area in this country that do more deals per agent than any brokerage in that area. That's all I care about. And so what does that look like? I don't know, probably 2,000 agents at max throughout the country in the different markets that we're in. Um, somewhere around there and from that we create you know somewhere around give or take I'd say 35,000 transactions a year 40,000 transactions a year give or take which leads to somewhere in the ballpark of 110 to 130 million in EBITDA so we have a huge runway ahead of us we just got to get there yeah no that's incredible so you're dealing with the, the large mortgages mortgage companies so are these vanilla loans or do you also get into uh, hard to get loans as well it depends on, on it depends on the partner you know um, 
a lot of our major partners are are more of your I don't even say that you know we have Veterans United largest VA purchase lender in the country we have Rocket you know obviously the largest lender in the country we have um, Freedom Mortgage huge servicer we have Amerisave like I said all these companies we have Zillow um, they're all different and so what we do is we come into these relationships and a lot of them now we've had for years, right? So a lot sure. of that is growth by market center and they trust us that if, if Jason opens a market in Sioux Falls, which is one we're opening right now, then they're gonna do a great job in Sioux Falls for us. We don't need to question it anymore. So the measurements have gone away in a sense because there's so much trust there with a lot of partnerships. Um, the newer partnerships that we have, we build customized campaigns and solutions for them to where um, everything we do is tailored around how they operate internally so we can deliver reporting, visibility, and accountability back to them. It really depends on the partnership and in the type of industry that that partner's in. You know, we do a lot of Relo, for example. Relo's different than lending. Um, we have deals with multifamily groups uh, where when their tenant moves out, that we service their tenant and give them rewards when they purchase a home. Um, so it really can be cut so many ways of how, we have HR benefits program for some companies, right? And so it really truly depends on who the partner is in the industry that they're in. And then we create unique carve outs for them for real estate services. That's great. How about, do you still, uh, are you still getting folks that come in the traditional way? They Google up realtors in my area, realtors near me and they pop in, or is it still coming just through the, the main relationships you built up now? Yeah. I don't know how many of those we drive. <laughs> the answer is of course. What we, what we find is that as we add more and more deals to our agent's portfolio, their self-generated business grows and gets bigger because they have more people that are sending their friends and family to them. Sure, so it's sense. an automatic arbitrage in a sense. And, um, and that's the beauty part about our model is that year over year, as we add closings from our partnerships, you're gonna grow your book inherently because those people are gonna start sending business that you never would have had, had it not been for the partnerships. Let me ask you this then. So we've had a really difficult time, not not as difficult as 10, 12, 15 years ago, whatever it was, 15. Oh shit, we're getting old, man. 15 years ago. But um, but the last year has been difficult for you guys. And yet I'm hearing, oh, ah, we'll do 5 billion this year. Ah, I In my neighborhood, I, I go through three houses right now and they've been on the market for maybe 90 days. When I bought my house, um, when I moved down here two years ago, a house that I looked at at 10 o'clock was, was already gone by one. Yeah. Uh, the house I can see from my, my window, Vince Wilfork bought the house over there That's and right. I, it was on the market for three days. The day I was going to look at it, it was closed. So when this house came on the market, I heard it was coming. The Zillow said it's coming on the market on Friday. I told the agent, we're going to be there Friday morning. And I looked at it before noon on Friday, they had an offer from me over asking price and it was mine. Now, same neighborhood, 90 days later, nothing's going. So how are you so confident and what is it? Is it these, just your models allowing you to survive and thrive yeah. with this messed up rates that we're going through? Well, you know, I think the rising interest rates was actually a very good thing because we had to slow things down. I mean, I'm sorry, but like it bothers me. And I've, I've talked about this, I've wrote about it. It really bothers me that three years ago, 
a lot of people that needed home ownership and could qualify for home ownership, veterans, first time home buyers, single moms, and they just got pushed around by cash buyers and they had to go back to renting and all of a sudden their rents went 20%. The next year they try to buy a home, they get beat up again, but that home was still 20% more and they still can't buy. There's so many people that we needed to allow for home ownership that now may never be able to afford a home and their rents continue to go up and up and up. And they had a, they could have made a lot of money in appreciation. And, uh, and so rates had to go up to slow all this stuff down. Now the double-edged sword is home prices are up, rates are up, now they still can't buy. But the problem and the real reason why they couldn't buy, everyone, there's two main reasons why we had the issue that we did, probably three. One, rates got so low, everybody was buying a home. That's the obvious one. The real reason, though, goes back to the Great Recession. Because of the Great Recession, for six years, we had no building going on in this, in this country yep. because builders couldn't get financing. And so for six years, there's no new homes being built. Basically. They couldn't get any financing, but wasn't also the foreclosure issue a big deal on there? Because they had a lot of they had a lot of uh, inventory out there that needed to turn, right? Yeah. Now, wasn't sure. there, during that time the banks owned but old, the but old inventories? Inventory. I'm talking. You need to build houses. Sure. So and and we weren't building houses, and so therefore there's an inventory supply issue. And then the third issue with inventory supply, which I have, I have wrote <laughs> the legislation. I said it should be federal. If it ain't going to be federal, let's make it state. You cannot allow Wall Street to continue to buy all these single family homes. It's destroying the ability for the middle class to earn wealth because the middle class cannot create wealth through their 401k. It takes too long. Home ownership is the way they say, I'm gonna buy a home for 250,000 and in 20 years it's gonna be worth 450,000 and I'm gonna owe 70,000 so I got 400 grand in equity so I can send my kid to college. If we don't do those things, everything breaks. It's a domino effect and it's breaking right now. We just haven't seen the domino effect of what occurs, but we're forcing people to have to rent and rents continue to get skyrocketed, which is pushing people out of the communities that they lived in for years and years and years. But worst of all, they don't have home ownership and they don't have home ownership because Wall Street owns, I believe the number, I believe, don't quote me. I believe it's something like 1.5 million single family homes Wall Street owns. I think that's the number. That should not happen. And if that's going to be the case, then you got to tax these people. And I came up with a solution. I said, look, here's the deal. Depending on the amount of doors in your portfolio, you should be taxed on those doors. So if you own 5,000 to 10,000 doors, you have a two and a half percent federal tax and the X amount of state tax for the income that you additional income that you generate from owning those doors. There should be something that's that penalizes you for owning that many doors. And then there should be a reward if you off a certain amount of doors per year. So if you off 10% of your portfolio a year and you sell it to a primary resident, we're gonna give you a tax benefit for that. And we would make up for that tax benefit that we would provide the PE firm that's selling these houses. Say we give them a tax benefit for that. Well, home ownership creates its own economic value into the market anyway, because primary residents spend money on their homes. They're not investors that says, I'm gonna wait last minute to fix that AC or that roof, or I'm not putting in a new kitchen, it's feasible, it's fine. 
People that own their own home say, I want a better kitchen even though I don't need one. I want better landscaping even though my backyard looks nice. They put money into the economy when you own your own home. All that went out the window. And it's, it's bullshit because number one, these people need home ownership to create wealth, but we need more primary residence as homeowners because they put more money into the economy. And yet we have all these PE firms and Wall Street owning all these single family homes and all they're interested in is the cap rate. They could care less about doing new landscaping. They're gonna wait last minute to rip out that carpet. You know, sure. and, their, and their buy box is exactly what the average American is. Three to four bedrooms, 1,500 to 2,000 square feet, 5,000 square foot lot, easy maintenance. That's the homes we wanna buy. And so they're, the inventory they're buying is taking away from the middle class that buys those type of homes. And, and there's nothing that's been done for it, nothing. There's not been any legislation that restricts Wall Street from buying single family homes. Hell, I see cities making more advancements when it comes to the ARBNB and VRBO legislations that they're coming out with than, than any state governments or any federal governments just saying, hey, you're not allowed to own 100,000 houses. It's not fair to Americans that you It'll do be that. interesting to see if they actually do anything. I, I had a friend, we were down in the Gold Coast of Australia a few years ago, and he ended up buying, I want to say it's the 17th floor of this, half of the 17th floor of this high rise so he could have a, you know, apartment that overlooked the ocean. Beautiful place, right? And they were still building it out. He said he wouldn't get it for 18 months, but he had to put the money down and whatnot. But what they said in Australia, if I get this right, was you could buy new property in Australia, but you couldn't buy existing property if, unless you were a national. Interesting. So it kept, like what was happening in Australia was the Chinese were coming up there and buying everything, running everybody's property values up. And so now but they couldn't get into home ownership. So they said, oh. okay, now, now you can just buy the new, new building spaces, but as soon as you sell it, you're gonna have to sell it to an Australian, which now puts a cap on their upside. Yeah, but that's exactly what they did in Vancouver because Chinese, they were, they were buying all of Vancouver and they said, now if you're a foreign national, it's an extra 25% or, or it, it wasn't necessarily an extra 25% of the purchase price. There was a tax ramification of around 25 to 30%. I forgot exactly how it worked out and guess what? It slowed things down, but it needed to be slowed down. So the people that lived there could actually own a home and guess what? I'd rather own a home and only make three to 4% appreciation year over year, but at least I can take that over a course of 15 to 20 years than to never have home ownership in the first place. Because the other side of that too, is you're automatically paying down your principal month. It's for savings, right? And even if appreciation isn't 10% a year, 20% per year, good. So we needed to slow it down, but there were a lot of other things that we could have been doing that really frustrate me and I, and I think it goes back to basic politics. When you got the richest groups in the world, BlackRock and Blackstone and all these groups that have unlimited money, guess what? They're making sure you don't pass legislation on stuff. Well, that's exactly right. That's what I, where my mind goes. It's uh, the, the swamp, it's both sides. It really is. I, I get so t I don't even watch the news anymore. It's just so frustrating because they're all, to, in my world, I see them, they're all pandering to the people that pay them, the special interests, and they don't look out for the people anymore. And so we're all sitting here just scrabbling over, over whatever falls off the, the table. And it's just not fair for the, the, the most, the game is rigged. It's always been rigged against people, but it's now even more so. 
it's not just a few wealthy families doing it, it's wealthy corporations that are doing it that's sad. And then you got China coming up, for example, buying up all the farmland and whatnot too. That just, uh, it, there's a lot of problems in your industry. But before we get into that anymore, I want to talk, go back to your business because you had a two millimeter shift in mindset that made all of the difference. The two millimeter mindset, uh, millimeter shift that went from being in this red ocean space where everybody's fighting over the same prospects, the same clients, you have a website, you got a sign, blah, blah, blah. And now you're in this blue ocean space and you were first to market, it sounds like, or at least an early adopter to it. And it sounds like even if you weren't first to market, you're the first one to really leverage and see what the future was like. Yeah. Um, I guess my question around, around this is, what was it that inspired you to find a better way and build a better mousetrap and say, today is not the easy day. Today is not the best way to do things. And, and what are you doing in the future to say, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next big shift? I, th um, I don't know. You know, I, I think it kind of found me, right? Like, uh, I think what clicked was, if I have partners that send us business because they like doing business with me, I never have to find deals ever again. And now if I can create this organization to where, I mean, all, all our company is, is a company based around leverage. How do we leverage relationships to drive more business into the door? So we're the ultimate leverage play. And as a real estate professional, what you always try to find is, like when I was in the field, for example, my best year I did like 100 and, I think it was like 160 million in personal production, which is a big number. But I didn't do that on my own. I had an assistant in the office. I had showing agents. So I had to use human leverage in order for me to do the business that I was doing. Right. All this play is, is creating leverage within referrals and consumers so other people can build and have a better lifestyle for themselves while us being the benefactor from a corporate perspective of ensuring that we have great relationships and that we can still drive business from these relationships. So it's all total leverage. It wasn't that I had like, I didn't come up with this idea. I was a benefactor of the model that said, I wonder if I build this, can, can we create more leverage with it and it worked. And then, you know, I got, again, I, I go back to Rocket in a sense, I got really lucky that that was my first partner. Because if you put them on your resume, I mean, people trust you, right? They say, right. shit, if you can do it for them, you know, and then you get ma other major groups like Veterans United is a massive partner and you get them on your resume and then you get these, you know, like all of a sudden the resume builds, but I got really, I mean, that would be like saying like, take Tim Grover, right? Like, dude, I like Tim. I've spoken with Tim a lot of times. He's a very powerful guy. But if you didn't have Michael Jordan on your resume, you don't get Kobe Bryant, okay? So like, my, I mean, my, right? I mean, that's, yeah. isn't the movie Air? Like if Nike doesn't get Michael, Nike isn't Nike. So sometimes you get lucky with who you get first. And I just got really lucky. But I saw as they were building this engine that they needed more support. And then I thought, what other groups may need this out there? I mean, we helped launch a lot of networks. I mean, we helped Open Door with their network, Zillow with their network, Amerisave. New I'm going to stop you for a second because you, you triggered me on something. So you got lucky 
But you know who else gets lucky in America? Everybody. But no, but not everybody takes the luck and sees the opportunity in it and uses yeah. the leverage to make something great. So you need, I, I know you already see this. I want everybody to see this. We all can get lucky or fortunate. In my, my career, I, I can look at things that are lucky, but it's, it's this six inches that says, I can do something with this and make something great. That's what you had. That's what differentiated you. I, I would, I would, I won't bet my children's lives, maybe my life, that you weren't the first person to think about this. You're the first person to do something about it. The first person that came up with a ride sharing app was not the boys at Uber. The first people that came up with house sharing apps was not uh, uh, Airbnb, you know, but they, they, they're the first ones to use leverage and build it and build something great. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So I see that in you, man. I, I just, um, um, you are obviously a, a great entrepreneur and uh, you're a visionary and uh, I, I just, I honor you for the, the work you've done. Uh, man, I'm, I'm just to, to see where you were and where you are now with this huge company, man. I, I, I'm grateful that we got a chance to, to connect on this call and see where you've been. Um, what's next, Jason? Um, I'm hitting the road this summer big time. You know, I, I, I hit the road a decent amount, but COVID, like COVID did this. So I get to be with so many partners this way now where I'm hitting the road this summer. I'm going to, I think I have 16 to 18 stops between June 7th and August 31st. And we're, we're hitting every market at this point. And I, I know what we got. And now it's about getting in front of agents and the right agents to show them what we have to offer and bringing on the right agents that want to grow their business so we can do right by our partners. But I'm just going to be in hyper growth mode over, over the, uh, through the end of this year. And, um, and we'll see where we end up, you know, coming in the next year. But I, I just think that we have, we have a lot of great things internally that we've built that we want to bring to, to this industry and we want to continue to add and grow our partnerships. And so that's on my plate. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And also, um, with this legislation piece, I, I, I appreciate how you're looking out for, for Americans. And it's not just the, 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 it's America, not just Americans. Because you, as you laid out all the second and third order consequences that happen when Wall Street buys houses versus, you know, mom and pa buying a house, it's well, had a huge impact. You know, it's so disheartening too. Like I said, I mean, I come from South Detroit. I don't come from a whole lot at all. They and write the journey. Did Journey write that song about you? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Born and raised in South Detroit. <laughs> but, um, but the reality is, is that when you talk about the inability for people to buy homes and the inability that people that want to buy homes or could buy homes, and they just unfortunately aren't able to, I mean, look what redlining did to neighborhoods like I grew up in. How many people could have had home ownership in the 70s, in the early 80s, but redlining allowed them to not, and that was significantly unfair and that's why you see still to this day so many people in that position in low-income neighborhoods and a lot of it was not a lot of it the majority of it was racially driven and it really set people back for generations because they couldn't have home ownership and that like the the catastrophic impact of not being able to build wealth through home ownership especially when you consider generationally it changes the complexity of college 
It changes the complexity of education and the ability for people to have a head start in life or to at least stay on the path of what would be different types of people. And it, it, it set people back so far. And I look at what happened over these past three years, and I believe it set people back tremendously because home prices have gone up so much over the past three years. And now with rates up, when you don't allow people to have home ownership because you don't have the right rules and legislation in place, they're screwed, but now they're forced to rent and now you're increasing. These same people that outbid you on your home are now becoming your landlord who's raising your rents because they own the monopoly of the homes that are for rent. It's an unfair game. So you bid against me, you win. Now, you're, now I have to rent from you and you're gonna raise my rents because you own 50% of the homes in the surrounding area that are the ones that I can afford. Right. That, is, that is an unfair game. And nothing's been done about it. And we could do something about it to this day. We could implement, we could definitely pass legislation that starts new rules and new tax laws against those that own a certain surplus of homes. And no one does anything, like I said, because the richest of the richest have these houses. And so they just keep feeding, feeding the machine of look the other way, look the other way, look the other way. Right. It pisses me off. Like it bothers me that people that should have a home don't. Jace, where can uh, people reach out and, uh, to, to meet your team and if they want to do business with you and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, social media is great. It's uh, Jason, Mitchell, Jason Mitchell underscore JMG. And then, um, you know, our website, the JasonMitchellGroup.com. And then um, any agents that, you know, like our model, it's JoinJMG.com. But those are probably the best ways. Great. Hey man, I appreciate your time. It was great getting to know know you a little bit more. And if uh, if I can do anything to serve you, uh, if you ever need somebody to to toss around business ideas or vet something with, I'm sure you got a huge circle. But I just want to throw it out there. I'm here to support you any way you need me. And man, I just really appreciate your time. And and I just uh, I find your story. Uh, it's American dream, man. You're living it, man. And uh, it was great getting to know you a little bit. Thanks, JP. Really appreciate it. All right, take care, buddy. Game of Business family. If you enjoyed or received value out of this episode, please share it. Send it to a friend. See, we don't pay for advertising on this podcast and are strictly word of mouth. And I would love the help to add value to as many business people as I can. Thanks a lot.